You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today I'm reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Suja, for that reading. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Ben. I am on staff here at City on the Hill. Delighted to be opening up the Bible with you today here in the book of Matthew. So good to be doing this together. It feels like we've been on tour for the last few months, doesn't it? Britt said we, we had 11 weeks and left and right and then a big weekend last weekend. And being on tour is exciting, isn't it? There's so much to see and, and we've been all the way through the Bible here, there and everywhere. But there's something wonderful about coming home when you've been away for a long time. And it feels like we are coming home to Jesus for these next three weeks. We're going to slow down. We're going to pull up a chair and gather around him and we're listening to him teach and we are going deep, deep. Three weeks in a little series of parables, all from Matthew 13 and all with this one key idea that's running through them. Did you pick it already? I'm sure you did. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus holds up his heavenly kingdom for us to examine and like a A beautiful diamond that catches the light differently, beautifully, when you look at it from different angles. That's what we're going to do with his kingdom over these next three weeks, slowing down, deep diving with Jesus. I'm excited. I hope you are. Why don't we pray and ask him for his help as we do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you have shared with us what your kingdom is like. We pray, Father, that as we look through your word and as we explore it together and examine the beauty of your kingdom, Lord, would you send your word from your mouth and may it not return to you empty. May you accomplish that which you purpose for it. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, we need to set the scene before we look at our two parables today. We are in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is a former tax collector. That means he is a collaborator with the occupying Roman forces. He is a traitor to his people, the Jews, but then he meets Jesus and his life is transformed. He becomes a a devoted follower of Jesus. He's one of his inner circle of 12 disciples and he repurposes those bookkeeping skills to keep a record of Jesus's life and teaching. And like all good accountants, he is very organized. And so what he does is he groups his material, uh, stuff Jesus did, interspersed with five blocks of stuff Jesus said. And that's what we have before us here in chapter 13, a series of Jesus's parables. 
And what is a parable? I hear you ask, good question, glad you asked it. Jesus is a master storyteller. He takes these ordinary everyday events and objects and, and activities to teach profound spiritual truths. Sometimes uh, we can use parables as kind of like a, a gateway into the gospel for kids. But if that's all we ever use them for, we are missing out. Jesus is being edgy with the parables. In fact, he's being spiky. They're, they're even divisive when he tells them because they, they reveal truth to people who are hungry for it. But at the same time, they conceal that truth from people who are too lazy to look for it or, or too prejudiced or blinded by their own hatred to care. And so with each parable, we look at these next three weeks, each one's kind of like a, a mirror for us, held up by Jesus, searching us with big questions. What do I really think about God's kingdom? Am I for him or am I against him? And crucially, what will I do with Jesus? Those are the questions that will bubble through these parables. And so if you are here with us, if you're online or you're here in the room with us, and you're not sure what you think about Jesus yet, this is a great series, a great time to be exploring him. Because each week we're going to present his kingdom and you will have an opportunity to weigh it up, weigh him up and see what you think. And if you're a Christian here with us this morning, that is so good as well, because we have a chance to weigh ourselves up and the part that we are playing in his heavenly kingdom. So the scene is set. We know where we are, what we're dealing with. Now it's time to settle down with Jesus. Grab your Bible if you have one. If you don't, grab your phone. We're looking at Matthew 13. I'm going to read for us from verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like... And we're going to stop there. I told you we were going to go slow through this. Uh, three things I want us to zoom in on here today. This is the first one, the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you read or you hear those words, what's the picture you have in your mind? Maybe this is the picture you have. There it is. Uh, the kingdom of Wakanda or any of the other great kingdoms of fairy tale and fantasy. It looks and sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It's idyllic and unspoiled, but it's a little bit far off. And if we're honest, a bit far-fetched for us in reality, isn't it? So maybe your picture is more like this. Here is the Great Wall of China. Uh, impressive, isn't it? Protecting one of the world's ancient kingdom, uh, powerful in the past and in the present. No doubt it's impressive, but maybe it feels a bit too big and, and even a bit foreboding for having anything to do with little old me, right? So maybe your picture of the kingdom is more like this, uh, a heavenly kingdom on the clouds, a glorious promise of a, a better future, but this one, this one can feel a bit pie in the sky, can't it? It doesn't seem to have that much to do with my reality here in the highs and lows of life. What's the picture you have of the kingdom of heaven? There's a little bit of truth in all of these pictures. The, the kingdom will one day be idyllic and unspoiled. It is a promise of something better, glorious future for us. It is impressive and, and powerful, but here's the first thing we need to know about the kingdom of heaven. 
The kingdom of heaven is near, here, and now. You think about it, what, what do we need for a kingdom to exist, right? What are the conditions? Well, we need a king, first of all, who rules. Then we need a, a people who are governed by his rule. And then we need a place where those people live and exist and have their being, don't we? And that right there is a, a story arc that runs through the Bible. If we think about it really from beginning to end, Adam and Eve are the first people who live under the rule of God as their king in his place, the Garden of Eden, according to his word. Then there's Abraham, called by God to leave his homeland for the place God would provide, the land of Canaan, and they live, he lives with his family according to God's rule there. Eventually, this is what happens. It comes to pass with Israel, Abraham's descendants living in that promised land where God has put them. And, and he gives them his law, his word under which they live. And then first with Saul, then David, then Solomon, God actually then puts human kings over his people. Israel exists as God's kingdom. They're his people under his king in the place where he has put them. Trouble is, the kings are hit and miss, more miss than hit, if we're honest. Uh, and so all the way through Israel's story, there's this thread running, these promises that keep bubbling up that God is going to do something about this. There, he will one day give his people a perfect king. He will choose one to rule over them. And, and the Old Testament is full of these promises, promises like this from Daniel chapter 7. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Every so often Israel gets a, a decent king, and they dare to dream, oh, maybe this is the one, this is the guy that God has promised, and then things go pear-shipped pretty quickly, and hope nosedives again, but then comes Jesus. And do you know what Jesus' first sermon was? It's a big claim. Let me read it for us. Matthew 4, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he can say the kingdom of heaven is near because he, the king of heaven, has come. He then spends three years demonstrating time after time that he's the one that's been promised through the Old Testament. He does things no king before or since can. One author puts it like this, wherever Jesus comes, the demons flee the fever subsides, the sea becomes calm, the storms obey. The kingdom of God has come near and leprosy retreats. The blind open their eyes in utter amazement. The lame dance in spontaneous enthusiasm and the dead rise from their graves. Indeed, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is undoing the work of sin and death. They are powerless before him. And God's plan for his creation is to wipe them out, to unite all the fractured parts of his cosmos under one overarching harmony. It is, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, to unite all things under Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And that plan is in process, right? The, the king has come. 
That is the future that awaits those in his kingdom. And so now we find ourselves living in between, right? We experience the, the kingdom in part when we live and live and exist under the rule of Jesus. And we, we live with hope for that perfect future that awaits his kingdom. So his kingdom is near. In fact, so near that it's here and now. Literally, because here, right, we have God's king who rules Jesus. We have a people who submit willingly to his rule and reign, who live according to his word. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? And in fact, we are also his place because he has poured out his Holy Spirit, the very presence of God living in his people. We are living under his rule as king, his people, and we are his place. And that is huge for us, church. We are an outpost of Christ's kingdom in the world today. That's mind-blowing when we wrap our heads around it. I know for me, often I call Jesus my Lord and Savior. Do you use that phrase? And I am happy to have Jesus as my Savior. I am happy to be rescued from sin and death. But I can't forget that he is equally my Lord, my King. And so that means admitting, you know what, Jesus? The plan you have for my life, the way you call me to live, that's actually better than my plan. And so I'm going to live your way. To be a Christian is to seek first his kingdom, isn't it? And his righteousness. And we live that out day after day with decision after decision. And so when we were faced with, say, a money decision, we think, what would honor Jesus here? How can I practice his values of generosity? And, and how can I be generous in, in giving away? And how can I stir that confidence that he will provide for me, even if it feels a bit risky to give my money and wealth away? Or when we're faced with a, a career decision, again, we're thinking, what best honors Jesus? Is this option that I have at serving others and not just myself? If I take this job or that, will I be able to play my part in God's mission? Will I be able to share Jesus and and advance his kingdom? Or will I be silenced? If I take this opportunity or that job, will I be able to work with honesty and integrity? Or will I be compromised? For Christians, every day we're making decisions that live out his kingly rule over us to seek first his kingdom. That is for me and you as individuals, but also for us as a church collectively. City on a Hill, we together are part of God's global and historical church. We are the clearest demonstration of his kingdom. We're not the finished kingdom. Of course we're not. There's far more to come. But here and now, we are like an embassy of his kingship. We're extending his invitation to anyone and everyone to come and and be part of his kingdom, to come and and be part of God's plan, to come and see the, the purpose and meaning in living under his rule and being part of something bigger, something better than just me creating my little kingdom for one. We're inviting people to come and taste the the sweetness of human relationships being made perfect. We're inviting people to come and know the, the joy of being known, fully known, 
no secret shame or guilt with Jesus. He knows all of us, and, and he accepts us with love. That is the invitation we hold out as a church. And, and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want you to. This is your invitation. This is what it looks and feels like to be part of his kingdom. It's a little taste of it. That the kingdom of heaven is not some far-fetched, distant dream. No, we're living it, church. It's here, and it's now, not fully, not yet. But this is a, a little taste of the feast that we will enjoy forever with Jesus. Let's get back to Matthew 13. We'll pick it up with Jesus again in verse 31. I'm going to read the, the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus, is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, hands up if you have seen a mustard seed. Not many hands. Good. Well, take this one off your bucket list. Here is a picture of a mustard seed. What do you notice about the seed? It's tiny, right? It's, it's minuscule. Jesus says, in fact, it is the smallest of all seeds. And for your average first century Palestinian, that would be true. That's the smallest seed they'd be familiar with. It's tiny. And it, it's not very impressive. It's not very kingdomy, is it? And that's the point Jesus is making. That's the second thing we're going to unpack together. From little things, big things grow. Because you see, from this tiny mustard seed, a mustard tree grows. And not, not the biggest tree you've ever seen. It grows to about four meters. But in a small garden, it would dwarf everything else in there. Here's a, a mustard tree, just for reference. Jesus is making the, the same point Paul Kelly and Kev Carmody would a couple of thousand years later from little things, big things grow. The contrast between the, the start and the end of the story is key here. The contrast between the, the small and the large, between something pretty unimpressive to something really quite impressive. Because not only will this tree grow large, when it does, birds of the air can come and make their nests in its branches. It's a blessing, a home, a, a haven for these birds. Small can be significant. Now, imagine how encouraging this would be for the early church as they're reading and listening to Matthew's gospel together. They are this small, ragtag band of hoi polloi. They're nothing compared to the might of Roman pagan religion. They're tiny compared to Judaism from which most of them come, but they're looking around thinking, we're the mustard seed. But from little things, big things grow. Within a, a generation, this first church has spread across the Roman Empire all the way to Rome itself. Still small comparatively, but it has grown exponentially. And significance is not always measured in numbers. Like the, the mustard tree is a blessing for the birds around it. So these churches, these little kingdom embassies are blessings for the, the neighborhoods and the towns, and the cities they find themselves in. 
The first recognized hospital was founded by a woman called Fabiola, a Christian. The first institute for the blind was founded by a monk called Thalassius, a Christian. The first free medicine dispensary, the the proto-chemist warehouse, was set up by a merchant called Apollonius, a Christian. Yes, the church has done some appalling things in its history. And we will see in the third week why that is. Really, it's because we're living between the start and the end of the kingdom. Christians, the church is still an imperfect work in progress. But from the story of the church, we can see that it bears out this parable. From little things, big things grow. And we know this for ourselves too, don't we? City on a hill. As one particular outpost of God's kingdom last week, I shared again the the start of this church was four people praying in a living room in Docklands. Look how far we've come. We've come a long way. and, And I can tell you, I've been so encouraged by this parable this week. I need to write this or have God write it on my heart. We're preparing to plant a church next year in Ballarat, and, and exciting things are happening, right? We're, we're growing a launch team. Uh, I'm getting contact from interested people. We've started our first GC. I'm blown away by the heart these people have to reach Ballarat with the good news of Jesus. But there's about 25 of us, including kids. I'm always counting the kids. I, I walk around from time to time in Ballarat, praying, pleading really with God. How's this going to happen? How are we going to make a dent in this city of 100,000 people? Here's how. God is in the business of growing big things from little things. We need to know this even here, City on a Hill, even in Melbourne. Because sometimes we do feel small, don't we? When there's only a handful of us praying in the engine room on a Tuesday morning, don't give up. From little things, big things grow. When only three people show up for gospel community on a Wednesday night, don't give up. From little things, big things grow. When you feel completely outnumbered, you're the only person who's publicly outed yourself as a Christian at at work or at uni or at school, and you feel like your gospel conversations aren't really going anywhere, don't give up. From that little witness that you do, God will grow big things. If you're a City Kids teacher and your class goes bonkers and the, the lesson goes out the window, don't give up. If you're sitting this morning with a child in your arms and you're trying to listen and they're getting noisy, don't give up. We got some stats from Sydney recently. At what age do you think most people become Christians? I'll tell you. 19% of Christians come to faith under the age of five. 13% aged five to nine. 24% aged 10 to 14. 22% aged 15 to 19. That's the vast majority of Christians come to faith as part of a a next generation ministry and raised in homes by Christian parents. Sometimes it feels like we're getting it wrong, but don't give up. Next generation ministry is a massive mission field, a massive gospel opportunity. From little people, big things grow. God is generous to us. He he allows us 
to see his kingdom growing here and now to encourage us. But ultimately, it's only when Jesus returns that we'll see the, the full size and scope of his heavenly kingdom. It will be filled with faces and there'll be faces there that we're expecting to see. There'll be faces there that we are surprised to see. And there will be thousands upon thousands of faces that we don't know and we will spend eternity getting to know. Whatever that picture of the kingdom you have in your mind, it's too small. It will be better by far from little things. Big things grow. All right, let's pick up the the next parable with Jesus. Last one today in Matthew 13. I'm going to read verse 33. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Now, show of hands, please. Hands up if you baked your first loaf of sourdough bread during one of our lockdowns over the last few years. I can't see many hands. I'm sure there were people that did that. Now, keep your hand up if you haven't baked a single sourdough loaf since one of our lockdowns. My hand is up. That was me. Got on that bandwagon and then quickly jumped off. Now, if you didn't bake a sardo loaf, here is what you missed out. Hopefully we have a picture of one there. Look at that. Don't they look amazing? Uh, these belong to James Cursop, resident baker here on staff at City on a Hill. They look delicious. Are you selling them, James? They look wonderful. Uh, now, not so pretty is the starter that you have to use if you're making sardo. That is your leaven. That's what causes it to rise. It's yeast if you're making regular dough. I think we might have a picture of some sardo starter. Look at that. It's disgusting. It's unimpressive. It's small. According to James, you need about 18 grams of this starter to make a one kilo loaf of sardo. I'm not a mathematician, but that is small. It's the same point as the first parable from just a little leaven or a little yeast, a big loaf of bread grows. In Jesus' recipe, it's a really big loaf of bread. Three measures of flour would make about 25 kilos of dough. That's a lot of bread for a lot of mouths. But there's another subtle point that we need to hear on the kingdom today. This is it. God's growing his kingdom, even if we can't see it. The woman doing the bread making in the parable, do you see what she does with the leaven? She takes it and hides it in three measures of flour. And that's the thing about leaven or yeast, right? Once you mix it in the dough, it's hidden. You can't see it anymore. In fact, you could sit if you really wanted to for a minute or five minutes with that dough and and you wouldn't see any change. But leave it and come back in one hour, two hours, 12 hours, however long it takes. And then you see the difference the leaven makes, right? The the whole dough, the whole batch will rise until it's all leavened and ready to bake. So it is with God's kingdom. He's growing it even if we can't always see it. That is a precious message for members of his kingdom to have. Precious because it will grow in us the value of patience. I don't know about you, but I think I'm unlearning 
patience as I get older, and I think Netflix has a lot to answer for here. Other streaming services are available. Uh, why? Because it's so easy to tap the screen and you fast forward 10 and then 20 and then 30, right? You can skip through the, the slow parts of the show to get to the good bits. Do you do that? Uh, maybe you're a, a times 1.5 kind of person, or if you're really edgy, you're a times two speed watcher of things. Whew. It doesn't train patience, does it? And sometimes we can live that way too, right? We want to live life at 1.5 speed so we can get through the boring bits or the painful bits. We want to see the finished product. We want to get to the end. We don't have to wait for much in our life. Why should we wait for God growing his kingdom or growing us in his kingdom? Kingdom life can be frustrating, right? Why aren't I seeing more change in my life? Why do I keep falling for that same pattern of sin? Why isn't my heart changing to be more like the heart of the king quicker? And don't get me started on other people. Why aren't other people, insert your preference for the Christian life here, why aren't other people more prayerful or more authentic or more reliable and consistent or, or more theologically sound or more worshipful or more evangelistic. It can be easy to get impatient and then just plain disappointed with how things seem to grow slow. If that is you, and it is me, remember the leaven. God is growing patience in his kingdom people, and God is growing his kingdom even when we can't see it. It's a precious little parable because it also teaches us the value of the pause. We did this last week, didn't we, City on a Hill? Uh, we took last weekend to look back on 15 years of God's glory and goodness and grace to us as a church, as an embassy of the kingdom, and to celebrate the change and growth that God has brought about. It's incredible. Pausing to zoom out and, and see the big picture, that's when we see growth. But when was the last time you did that in your own life? Truth is, if, if all we do is live one day to the next, we won't actually see that much happening. We won't see that much of a change in our battle with sin. We won't see that much kingdom character growing in us. In fact, it might sometimes feel like we're drifting backwards. But when we pause and we look back at our lives over six months, one year, five years, 50 years. If we're living filled with God's Spirit, that's when we will see the change. We need to make time to pause and to look back at God's goodness and grace in our own lives. For me, I find that it's half an hour in a cafe every couple of weeks. I put my headphones in, I've got my notebook, I'm drawing and, and doodling, thinking about what God is doing. That's what works best for me. Maybe for you, it's a, a walk with the dog. Maybe it's settling into a comfy chair when the house is quiet or everyone's gone to sleep. Maybe it's a, a long drive in the countryside. I don't know, but there is precious value in the pause. We will see the fruit of God's spirit permeating through our lives. We'll see that this particular sin has less a, a grip on me than it did this time last year. 
we'll see that we've got confidence growing in our desire to share Jesus and what he's doing in our lives with the people around us. They're all signs of the rule and reign of King Jesus in our life. All reasons to give him all glory. We're going to do that in song with the band in just a moment. I'll invite them up. It's so precious for us to slow down for time with Jesus. Spent sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. He's showing us what his kingdom is like. It's like leaven. He's growing it even when we can't see it. It's like a a mustard seed from little things, big things grow. What a, a picture, a beautiful picture Jesus paints of his kingdom for us. My hope and prayer is that we're encouraged by what we see. Shall we pray together and thank him for it before we sing? Lord Jesus, all glory be to you. You are our king. You are growing your kingdom. You are gathering more of us. And Lord, we pray that you would transform all of us to be more like you, our king. May we ever see your rule and reign. All glory be to you, King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.